Engage for Success Radio, raising the profile of employee engagement and shining a light on good practice for people who believe there's a better way to work. Hello and welcome to Engage for Success Radio number 453 and today's topic is the secret to employee engagement. Engage for Success is a not-for-profit movement and we are the UK's leading voice on the topic of employee engagement. We're raising awareness and running events through our area networks around the country and our topic and sector-specific thought and action groups, developing research, publishing case studies and shining a light on great practice. Do visit us at engageforsuccess.org where you can learn more and sign up for our weekly newsletter. I'm Jo Moffat. I'm one of the regular hosts and MD and founder of Woodread. So um, I'm a volunteer with the Engage for Success movement, but running Woodread is my day job. And Woodread is a specialist creative agency where we use the tools, the techniques and the insight led approach of the advertising and marketing world to help our clients create great places to work, high performing cultures of engaged employees. And today I'm joined by Paul Glover. Um, Paul is the self-styled no BS workforce legacy coach. Uh, he he's a recovering trial lawyer, uh, an ex-felon, an unabashed Starbucks addict, a Chicago Bears fanatic, and the author of a number of workplace books, including Workquake, Making the Seismic Shift to a Knowledge-Based Economy. He's a presenter on creating leadership legacy, the power of sustainable employees, having a fool in your life and the future of work. And he's also a member of the Forbes Coaching Council. Uh, and he's going to be helping us with our topic today of the secrets to employee engagement. So welcome to the show, Paul. Well, thank you so much, Joe. Jeez, I'm actually impressed with myself now that you read that <laughs> read that bio. It's a mouthful. Thank you so much. And I appreciate the opportunity to talk to you and to your audience. Well, thank you for joining us. And, and, and having had a little bit of a conversation with you before we went live, um, I think it's going to be an engaging and interesting um 20 well 28 minutes or so that we that we've got left to us so um so I gave you a little bit of a a, a build-up there in the in the intro um are there any particular bits of that build-up that you kind of wanted to pull out and tell us a little bit more about that you think um our leaders will um our leaders our listeners will find uh, will find of interest well sure first I I appreciate uh what you're doing and also what the organization is doing I went to the website and it certainly is a very useful topic, one that is uh, underestimated as to the impact it can have on workplace productivity and profit, and one that I continually preach as a uh, as a workplace coach. Uh, I in, interact with my clients on the basis of increasing performance and productivity, and leadership is responsible for that, but they're also responsible for the level of engagement of their employees and Interestingly enough, a second category here, and that is the engagement of their management group. Uh, leaders often believe that people who are promoted into management positions are automatically engaged. And Gallup does uh, surveys on an annual basis for employee engagement, but they also do in, in engagement uh, surveys for managerial people, frontline leaders and supervisors and managers. And unfortunately, the level of engagement is very, very small amongst the managerial uh, workforce. Uh, it actually mirrors the engagement of the employee workforce, which is not surprising. 
uh, to me anyway, because obviously if you have a manager who's not engaged, I have no idea how you would expect your team or your workforce to be engaged. Uh, and leadership often skips over this group and concentrates solely on how do we engage the frontline workers. Again, that, that false assumption that the team leader is already engaged. So, so when I talk to, uh, talk to leadership, I say, don't go to the front line first. Go to your managerial group and ensure that they're engaged. Uh, and interestingly enough, and also I think I make it simple enough, uh, I believe that engagement is not as difficult as we keep making it. Mm-hmm. If you're willing to commit to it, uh, obviously, if you're not willing to commit the time, effort and energy, I don't care what you think engagement should be, you're never going to get there. But I've come up with a very simple uh, concept, and that is the three A's. Go on then. The three A's of engagement are, well, the first one is attraction. Mm -hmm. If you are not, uh, and and by the way, it has nothing to do how good looking you are. (laughs) What it has to do with is the positive energy and your mindset that you are putting out to the people who you work with and who work for you to engage them. People want to to associate with people who have the energy and the positivity about making things happen, that are able to talk about the hero's journey, Mm -hmm. which I think is essential for any company that has a a workforce. Uh, The hero's journey has got to include every employee in the organization. And if the leader is not able to, to have a hero story or tell the story and engage every person in that journey, Mm-hmm. then it doesn't work. So that uh, absolutely chimes with our um, the first enabler that Engage for Success identified or the, the, our founders of the movement identified in their original research, which was around having visible, empowering leaders who can tell a strong strategic narrative about the organization, where it's come from, where it's going, that whole thing about purpose, really. Absolutely. And first, I, I went on the website and I looked at the four enablers and obviously we're in sync, <laughs> uh, which makes it much easier for me to put this out there that that, yes, that's exactly true. Uh, you do have to have a narrative and, mm-hmm. and it has to it has to take place. I believe, as Joseph Joseph Campbell uh, stated, it has to be about the hero's journey because everyone is engaged in a hero's journey. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a part of that hero's journey is adversity. Yes. Yes. So without, without adversity, Little Red Riding Hood is just a, a pleasant walk in the woods. Yeah, yeah. We have to have the wolf. Yeah. Uh, and, and so the, the concept of positivity is a leader who, who ha- can, has a narrative, has developed a narrative, but then is able to engage everyone as a part of that narrative and journey. Mm. So that's the first A. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the second one. So is, adversity, uh, adversity isn't one of your A's, then. Oh no, no, attraction <laughs> is. I, adversity <laughs> is a part of that. Uh, so we've got attraction. We we also have attention. Mm-hmm. Research is extraordinary. And by the way, it's it's so interesting that we can we can take engagement and show the research that absolutely prove its importance, and yet people refuse to accept that it is that important. Mm. So so the concept of paying attention to people, people want you to pay attention to them. And if you're able to do that, then your level of engagement goes up. Uh, And then of course, the third one is appreciation. Yes. It's extraordinary to me how, how few times we say thank you. Yeah. 
to people in the workplace. And you can do that in a variety of ways. But but so that's that's my contention is this is engagement is a easy thing to explain. Here's a program, a process very hard to do because we won't put the time, energy and resources into those three areas. Mm -hmm. If you do, the level of engagement will go up. Mm -hmm. It's interesting, isn't it? Appreciation. I I often um, find myself talking with clients who when you get into the topic of appreciation or, or recognition, you know, reward and recognition, they often think of it in terms of the pay packet, the, the package, um, funding, re- reward programs, recognition, you know, big recognition events, glitzy awards, which is all felt fine and dandy and, you know, has part to play. But it's so easy to forget the power of the simple thank you. Yes. You know, and, and the handwritten, a little handwritten card from your boss yeah comes in the post and says that was great what you did was brilliant thank you or whatever or even just taking you aside after a meeting or putting something privately in the chat if you're on a virtual one of thank you it it's incredibly powerful and easily overlooked isn't it it is and and you just mentioned what i believe is the is is the defining point right now caused unfortunately by the pandemic and that is the industrial mindset was is Continue, was and continues to be a transactional mindset. Mm. I'm paying you for hours of work and that's, that's our relationship. And by the way, we were, we managers are told don't get personal, right? You have to be professional. That doesn't work anymore. The pandemic showed that it has to be a combination of professional and personal because you have to care about the person. Uh, before they're going to care about you and what you want them to do. And so we're shifting from transaction to relationship. And relationship is all about trust. It's all about communication. We, we can figure this out. It's not hard, yeah. uh, except for the fact we actually have to do it. And most leaders either don't recognize the importance, they don't like the way it makes them feel because it's not the way it was, and it's hard. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't try to try to denigrate the effort. But I think that the results of the effort is uncontroverted. You yeah. will get the level of engagement based on what you give. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, with, so remind us those three A's again, Paul. Attraction. Attraction. Attention. Attention. And appreciation. And appreciation. Yeah. Excellent. Lovely. All right. Um, oh, by and the I... way, I, just as a just as a side note, these work in your personal life as well. Yes. <laughs> if you think about when you decided you wanted a relationship with someone, I guarantee you, you put on your, your good duds. You made sure your hair was combed. You didn't smell. You went out and then guess what? You paid attention to them yeah. and you appreciated them. And so the high rate of divorce occurs when you stop doing those three things anyway. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. I can see that. That makes sense. Excellent. So, so we, we've, we've kind of, encompassed your the, your secret to to in, increased employee engagement and I think I think it's true to say isn't it that these aren't things that you just sort of think wake up and think about doing and then t- you could tick them off on your list they need to be intrinsic they need to be a part of everything you are doing and how you basically behave in your day-to-day interactions with your people it's not they, mean, they need to be spontaneous yeah, yeah. they really do and, and if you are a if you are a good leader, you can become great by engaging with an individual as an individual and giving them your your presence Hmm. 
and then enacting the three A's, because if you can't find something to thank someone for, you're not looking hard enough. Yeah, yeah, no, that's a very valid point. So I know that you believe that success requires us to embrace failure. So tell us a little bit more about that, Paul, because is that, um, you know, how, how do we learn to accept our failings in, in that regard? Well, first, uh, if, if you think you're going to escape failure in this life, you're not a human being. Uh, I believe that it is, you know, we see the yin and the yang symbol. And to me, that is the reality. 50% of our life is spent, hopefully, on, on the success that we enjoy. 50% of it, though, is failure that inherently is a part of being a human being. We're all flawed. We're all prone to failure. Uh, and once we start striving for success, we're much more likely to do something that is going to cause us to fail. I believe every success is built on failure because you learn the lesson. Mm-hmm. And the hardest person for me to, to coach is someone who's been successful and never failed. Because they're, they're like, well, why would I change what I do? Because you've been successful to today. Mm. Your future now requires you not to continue doing what you're doing, but be aware of the need to change, to improve. But if you haven't failed, the two things that you will lack as a leader is humility and gratitude. And if you don't have those two elements in your leadership style, you cannot be a great leader. But the only way you get those two is to embrace and endure failure. So my contention is every leader needs to be looking for trouble because I would prefer to go out and find it rather than allow it to find me. In that circumstance, it blindsides me. So if I'm willing to accept the fact that if I'm going to take reasonable risk there's reasonable failure attached to that. And the only way we grow outside our comfort zone is to take risk. Mm. Uh, and if you think being risk adverse is going to save you, that's when trouble will come and find you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, so to me, it is inherent that we ha- have a different mindset about failure, mm-hmm. that it's okay. Also, leaders need to share failure with followers. Because leaders for so long have been placed on a pedestal that they can't fail and they're afraid to show failure. They're afraid to show vulnerability. They're afraid to show authenticity because, oh my God, someone might think I wasn't a superhero. Well, you're not. Mm. Yeah. And you need to show that you, as a part of the narrative, that you failed but continue on. And I think that that has got to be communicated to the workforce because we keep talking about we want innovation, we want creativity. And you know what? That requires risk Mm -hmm. and risk inherently has failure. And if they don't see that the leader has failed, they will not take the steps necessary to be innovative or creative because of the fear of their failure, which will then get them tossed out of the organization. So this, in a way, is part of your hero story that you were talking about, because, you know, the hero, the slightly flawed hero, the the hero that recognises they're not invulnerable, they're not superhuman, uh, they're not, they haven't got superpowers, well, they might have some superpowers, but they might have some fatal flaws as well, or the damaging flaws, a little Achilles heel here and there, Um, recognising that that hero's journey is part, part of that hero's journey is actually being honest about your strengths and your weaknesses, learning from acknowledging when perhaps you haven't done something as well as you might, 
and building on that and learning and going forward and actually making it clear to everyone else that look it's okay to fail i have and we'll move on um yes. and and uh, yeah interesting and, and that 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 by the way i'm a, I, I tell people i'm the spo i'm the poster child for failure <laughs> i was a successful trial lawyer in the city of chicago and and clearly did did the wrong things went to prison for five and a half years uh, obviously could no longer practice law, got out. I had left my family both uh, financially and emotionally destitute. Uh, they, fortunately, they continued to allow me to be a part of the family. And when I got out, I, I, had, I had something that I didn't have when I went to prison, humility. I didn't have it. it was, I was a trial lawyer, a successful trial lawyer, which meant I had a huge ego. Right. Uh, and, and, and so it is like we see in all the TV shows, then, is it, Paul? Oh, well, if it, believe me, I, I, I so regret not being able to practice law, but, but practicing law had a couple of attributes to it that fed into my personality. One was it's the closest thing to hand to hand combat you can get. Uh, without a weapon, uh, and, and the judge is a referee, but that the opposing counsel is obviously that adversary. The second thing was the interaction that I was able to have with a jury, because that's where I, I recognized the power of, of the journey, because I started off by involving the jury in the hero's journey, making my client the hero. Uh, by the way, the world loves recovering scoundrels. So, so as long as you're recovering, you can't continue to be a scoundrel, but as long as you're recovering, you say failure and now recovering is trying to be better, successful. The jury would, would loved being a part of the journey. And I believe that employees are the same way. But first, you have to admit the failure, the flaw, because you can't have relationships without that. Mm. Because everyone recognizes the, that they have those flaws. And if you pretend you don't, I can't identify with you as an employee. Therefore, I'm not going to get on the journey with you. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Absolutely. No, it's, it, it, it's totally true. And of course, if we go back to your three A's of, um, oh, my gosh, just gone. <laughs> Attraction. <laughs> Attraction, attention, and, and appreciation. It was the first one I was done with. Attract, attraction, attention, and appreciation. If I need to embrace fail, if I fail in some of those things as a leader or a team leader or a people manager, actually, I'm not necessarily going to see that I've failed in, in the, the, the sort of the presence of my failure is going to simply be an absence of my people's engagement and absence of my team's engagement, isn't it? And I, I'm not going to know the I'm not going to know if I failed um, unless I pay very close attention to some of the things that my HR team might be telling me about staff turnover, attrition, uh, or um, i or I'm not going to necessarily be aware of that failure unless I start to realize the importance of investing in some understanding about emotional intelligence and understanding how I truly am. Otherwise, I'm just going to go on blindly, aren't I? Well, yeah, and you raise such a good point because you you read the bio, and one of them is every you have to have a fool in your life. 
right? Uh, the fool is the person who in medieval times sat at the foot of the throne and had the psychological safety to tell the king who was anointed by God that they were making a mistake because they were seen as crazy. Otherwise, you committed heresy and got your head cut off. I believe every leader needs a fool. And I think the coaches serve that purpose. And that is, I have the psychological say to safety to tell you, you're doing something wrong here. Mm -hmm. And by the way, the 360 degree review, which so many leaders are afraid of because they know what the outcome's going to be. They suck and they don't want to hear that. But if they don't hear that, they can't address the issues that are causing the low level of engagement. So yes, so much of leadership is about self-reflection, but then it's also about going out and collecting valid information from the people who can give it to you if you invite them to. Yeah, so that's playing to the whole employee voice thing that we talk about as much, listening to employee voice, but providing people that safe space, giving them that psychological safety to know that if they do speak up, they will be listened to, they will be heard, and they won't be punished for it. Uh, as and the fool. So that's what we mean by the fool. Yeah. It, it, yeah. Yep. And and so so yeah. And, and, but you're spot on because if you think you have a a culture of psychological safety, but you are talking to the front line about this, you don't have it mm. because. Every leader, the higher up the ladder they go in success, they have filters that are put in place. Yeah. So the information that they get is filtered through maybe two or three layers of leadership that, that for whatever reason may or may not be telling people, telling the leader the truth. The way you get this, and I, I use the example, the third shift in most organizations is where the worst things happen. And when someone enters my coaching program and they have a third shift, the first thing I ask them is, when was the last time you were on the third shift? And of course, it's crickets. They don't go to the third shift. Why? Well, it, it's four, it's four o'clock in the morning. Yeah, it is. And, and by the way, they aren't your employees, right? They're, so, they're like, well, no, go. Because the first time you go, they're going to call the police because they don't know who you are. The third time you go and go to the cafeteria, don't tell anybody you're coming in, don't bring an entourage, don't invite management in, sit at the cafeteria table with your employees and ask them a couple of simple questions. What can I do to make your life here easier, better? And let them tell you, and by the way, once you have this information, you better do something with it. Oh yeah. Uh, but yes. the next time you ask, nobody answers. So, so that's how we get through this process of, of filtered information. And mm -hmm. so you can then say, here, I thought things were great. Mm -hmm. uh, but the reality is, oh, my God, not so much. Mm -hmm. By the way, how do I know this? I'm doing engagement pro uh, surveys, and it sucks here. Mm -hmm. And you get to the great resignation. Whether we like it or not, everybody believes people leave for more money. They also leave a toxic situation. Yes. Yes. And so you, you need to factor that in. Uh, and the, the concept is, if I ain't like my boss, it's going to take 20% increase for me to leave. If I don't like my boss, it takes zero. Mm -hmm. If you're yeah. losing people, you better yeah. start finding out why. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. The um, One of the co-founders of Engage for, Engage for Success and the co-author of the original report, Nita Clark, describes employee voice as the canary in the coal mine. 
I like it. And it and it and it's exactly what you're saying, isn't it? You know, you 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 will hear and you will find out, and you better act on it pretty damn quick before that canary dies and the coal mine goes up. Really, if you take you know stretch the analogy a bit further. <laughs> Great, we've got just over five minutes left for us, Paul. Um, and I want to um, just explore now, if, if I may, um, a little bit about, you talk about coaching for legacy. And I wonder if you can talk a little bit for us about what you mean by that and, and why it matters. Well, the concept of coaching, of course, is you should be about helping the person that's in the program achieve the goals that they want to achieve. Unfortunately, most people enter the coaching program without a lot of knowledge about what it means in the process. And so what they start off with is they start off with very simple things. I want to be a better leader. I have no idea what that means. Let's have a conversation. Because I, I've got a different perspective, I want to coach so that you are creating a legacy. And that legacy is something you will be proud to hand off to someone else when you leave the stage. Mm -hmm. uh, first, people hate to be told they're, they're going to leave the stage, uh, but, but you are going to leave the stage uh, sooner, later, I don't know when. And, and so when we, when we transfer our, our coaching and our thought process from today's issues to five years from now issue, what do I want it to look like? You start to look at things differently and you say, how do I build a legacy? Well, well, then we now start to put in place the things we've been talking about with employee engagement, because that's our legacy. We want to have an organization that that is not only profitable and productive, but to place that people want to be. Mm -hmm. And so legacy is a much different feel to it than I want to be a better leader. Leader is short term. Legacy is preparing for the next person to build on what you've built. Mm -hmm. And that that feeling about building something that's worthwhile, that's going to last, changes people's perspectives very quickly about how they're going to approach uh, the process. And so that's that's the deal. And I find that it works. I also can tell you that 80 percent of those who come to me as leaders, that they don't join my program because not only is it different, it's hard. If you want to say, listen, I'd like to be a better speaker, I'm like, well, go find some, go find a speaking coach. It's not that I can't help you, but why would I do that? That that's not what that's not that's only one aspect of leadership. We need to look at the entire aspect of leadership. Communication obviously starts. Trust, uh, the ability to uh, to to stand in front of people and make them join in the journey. See, to me, that's where we're at. When we start talking about purpose, if the only purpose you can communicate is we want to make more money, yeah. everybody stays until they can leave to make more money. <laughs> so, so it's like, don't do that. Have that long-term purpose. And each leader has a different concept of what that's going to look like. So we work together to create that plan. Mm -hmm. And then we do the implementation of the plan. So legacy is a, a much more long-term perspective. Mm -hmm. uh, but by the way, I, I, legacy is is hard work. I had a client who describes me. He said, Paul's like a Sherpa. He said, he will get you to the mountaintop, but he's not going to carry your pack. <laughs> <laughs> and to me, that's my job is to say, let's look at what your future looks like. Hmm. And let's then build a program that gets you to that future, to that legacy. Hmm. And by the way, that that makes it 
an enjoyable relationship for me because my legacy is built into their legacy. Their legacies. Yeah, no, I get that. Great. We've got a couple of minutes left and I just want to try and bring this all together, tie some of these threads together with you, Paul, if I may. Um, we've talked about the three A's. We've talked about the need to embrace failure generally, but also you know, in terms of those those three A's. And, and talking about legacy, of course, that's that's the sort of appendix or the, the kind of final chapter to that hero story that you talked about with attention. Um, if there was one thing that, just one thing that people listening to you today should think about taking away and addressing in their own lives, their own work lives, to start to make a difference to the way in which they engage their teams, if they're people leaders, team leaders, or their organizations, if they're on the executive, what, what would that be? One well, thing. First, you have to realize that every person that works for you is actually a person. Uh, when I'm working with financial types, I tell them every spreadsheet, every number on a spreadsheet has a face behind that number. So rather than look at the number, the number is the results of the of the relationship. And so you need to address people as as individuals and as human beings, recognize the the concept of professional and personal as a part of the leadership skill set and then work hard at developing relationships not based on transactions. So it's pretty much that that, that composition of this is what works in today, today may not have been what worked yesterday, but if you are going to move forward, you have to have employees who have become stakeholders in your business. Okay. And Excellent. therefore they share in the dedication, but also the reward. They and they're sharing in that journey that you talked about at the beginning. Absolutely. That's lovely. We run rad out of time now. So um, thank you very much to today's special guest, Paul Glover, the No BS Leaders Legacy Coach. Thank you for listening to Engage for Success Radio. And meanwhile, don't forget you can download or stream any of the great shows from our archive at any time. Just visit engageforsuccess.org. And if you want to get involved in the movement, get in touch at engageforsuccess.org and we'd love to hear from you. So thank you very much and goodbye. Engage for Success Radio, raising the profile of employee engagement and shining a light on good practice for people who believe there's a better way to work.